Happy Easter, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection Day. We do have a hard time trying to illustrate it. You know, when there's the cross, there's something to talk about. But what do you talk about when you talk about an empty tomb? Well, we're thrilled to uh, see you all here today. Those watching on Grace Live, thanks for being a part of this. Let's get this right out of the way at the beginning. My wife dressed me today. I had a lot of... I had a lot of I had a lot of people say things to me. Some one person said, "Looks like somebody dipped you in that where they do the eggs." <laughs> like, you got all the colors working there. Anyway, so there you go. Been married a long time, and so I know when just to just to comply with everything. All right. So this is this is a powerful day. This is what we've been trying to say. Easter is a powerful day. Paul says in Philippians, "I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection." The word "know" means to personally experience it. So what you see with the followers of Jesus Christ is they were disillusioned. They were discouraged, they were disappointed, they were dis-everything, and then suddenly they weren't. Suddenly they weren't. All in one moment. That's the uniqueness of the resurrection. The movement of Christ in this world would have never started. Christ is the most influential person in the history of the world, statistically speaking. He's the most influential person in the history of the world. None of that would have happened without the resurrection. If you think about the founders, the founders of all the great religions in the world, Moses, of Judaism. Moses, he dies old and successful. Muhammad dies old and successful. Buddha dies old and successful. Jesus Christ dies young and alone and abandoned. And if it wasn't for the resurrection, all of this, we wouldn't be here today. None of this would have. It was the resurrection and the power of the resurrection that caused all of this to take place. Like, unbelievable how that happened. What a turn of events. Suddenly, in a moment's time, it all began. Today, we want to talk about this. We want to focus on this one thing. How do I experience the power of the resurrection? How does that happen? How exactly do I experience the power of the resurrection? So we said this. That's why we showed you the video. It's easy to talk about the cross. There it is. Mary arrives at the tomb early on Sunday morning. The stone is rolled away. She looks in there. There's nothing in there. What do you see, Mary? I see nothing. Whoa! How do you get excited about that? I see nothing. It's easy to talk about this. I have something to talk about. I talk about dying to myself. I talk about stop being selfish. A lot of things. But how do you talk about something powerfully when there's nothing to talk about? It's all empty. We have a a large yard debris um, trash can at our house. And it's yard season again. So we're starting to clean up, right? picking up all the sticks and all the stuff. So over the past couple months, uh, stuff has been collecting in there, all kinds of things, dead shrubs and plants and sticks, things that used to be living or that are now dead were thrown in this very large. Because we've had all these storms, the wind has blown, blew the top off of it, and with all the rain we had, it filled up. Like it filled all the way to the top. I couldn't even move it. The thing weighed hundreds of pounds. Even though it was on wheels, I couldn't move it. So all I could do, and it stung bad. All I could do was push the whole thing over. and Everything goes spilling. Everything. The huge pumpkin in there all over the place and all the dead. And it smelled so bad. And I had to clean up. See, I couldn't use that trash can for its purpose until it got emptied out of all the junk that was in it. That's the resurrection. Everything that you... Look at this life and this world about yourself, about this world, about what's going on in this world, about the stuff that's happening. When you hear about a terrible thing taking place and it kind of takes the air out of you, 
When something bad happens to you and you just say, gosh, what is the meaning of this life? All of that stuff gets emptied out. So today, we want to really laser focus in on this. What is the meaning of the resurrection? So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's, it'll be on the screen. It's on the back of your bulletin. We're going to look at some selected verses. There's 58 verses in 1 Corinthians 15. It is, everybody, the longest chapter in the Bible that teaches us on the subject of what does the resurrection mean. Now, here's something that we're all going to have to understand going into this thing. He is writing to a church in the city of Corinth, which is is in Greece. He's writing to a church that already believes the resurrection took place. I stand up here a lot of Easter's, and I do the same thing. I'm like, okay, here's all these historical proofs, and I build a case for it, and so you should believe it. I don't want to allow myself to get drawn into any of that today, and here's the reason why. We want to fully immerse ourselves to understand what they were missing out and what Paul is trying to talk to them about. The power of the resurrection. The followers of Christ, they lived inspired lives after the resurrection. Like they woke up in the morning like, because he lives, I can face it. And they weren't living that way in Corinth. And it's like, there's a disconnect. And so for, in order for us to fully understand what he's saying here, we have to go ahead and get ourselves in their shoes. Now they fully believed in the resurrection. He's writing to them, to a group of people. He's not trying to prove the resurrection to them at all. They already believe it. But there's a disconnect in their belief, and they're not experiencing the power of the resurrection. And at one point, he says, your entire faith is useless. Can you imagine that? Walking up to somebody in church, hey, brother, hey, sister, I just want to tell you, your faith is worthless, useless, right? But this is what he says to them because there's a disconnect. So I want to try to stay really focused because what Paul is saying here in this longest chapter actually is very obvious. But if we don't understand that, if we don't walk in understanding that, we can miss what is so obvious. And oftentimes me, I just get lost in the woods and I, and I just completely, completely miss it. All right. Who has heard of Sherlock Holmes and Watson? Anybody? Sherlock Holmes and Watson? Okay, great. This is good. So Sherlock Holmes and Watson, they decided to go camping. They got a tent. They go out camping and they're just having a good time. One night they decide to do a little drinking And uh, they did some drinking, they stumbled their way back to their tent, and they just passed out. Boom, gone. And in the middle of the night, as often happens, there's a sound, right, in the woods. And you're like shocked. And they both immediately woke up. What was that? And Sherlock Holmes says to Watson, Watson, what do you see? And Watson looks up and he says, I see stars, stars, and more stars. And Sherlock said, now Watson, what does that tell you? And Watson says, it tells me astronomically that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. It tells me astrologically that Saturn is in Leo. It tells me orologically that it's a quarter past three in the morning. It tells me meteorologically that tomorrow's probably going to be a pretty nice day. And it tells me theologically that we're just a tiny part of the vast universe. Stunning analysis. Watson says to Sherlock, says, Sherlock, what does it tell you? Sherlock says, Watson, you idiot, somebody's stolen our tent. (laughs) So sometimes we can just like get lost in what is just so obvious. The tent is missing. 
What does the resurrection mean? This is what we're going to try to laser focus on today. This is what I'm going to do my best to stay disciplined to focus in on here this morning. What does it mean? So verse number three, we'll do selected verses of this very long chapter all about the meaning of the resurrection. It says this, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. I stop right there. So this is really important. It's not one importance, but it's of first. It's number one of importance. Like this is the MVP of Christian theology right here. This is how he begins the chapter. He's launching it. It's very, very, very important to understand the meaning of the resurrection if you want to live the life that they lived, an inspired life that was full. That's how he starts. He continues that Christ died for our sins. Loaded word, sins. We'll come back to it in a second. According to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Let's talk about the word sin for a second. Churches are famous for talking about the word sin. It's a loaded word. Let's try to take some load off of that if we can. All right? So sin is everything that's wrong with this world. Sin is everything that is wrong with this world. And your list of everything that is wrong with this world, let's call it your sin list, your list of everything that's wrong with this world, your sin list, pretty much almost identically matches God's list of everything that's wrong with the world. Like, if you compared your two lists, they'd be almost identical. They're not perfectly identical, but almost. Like, you look at stuff and you say, uh, you know, that's a sin, that's an injustice, that's a wrong, that's a crime, that's selfishness, that's terrible, that's an abuse. And God's like, yes, 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 yes. So your lists are very slimmer, but they're not identical. Not identical because none of us is God. There's an old saying that says, if I knew God, I'd be God. In other words, if I could really figure fully God out completely, he wouldn't be much of a God. So our lists aren't identical. There are things that we look at, right? We say, oh, well, they're, God, they're on your list, and I don't think, you know, I don't think they're, that's really a sin. And God's like, eh, kind of is, you know? <laughs> there are things that, you know, I do. And I give myself tremendous leeway. I'm very kind to myself, right? And somebody else does the exact same thing. I'm like, well, I was having a bad day, and people were wrong to me, and I was running late, okay? So this is not really wrong, but what you did is a sin, even though it's the exact same thing. Freud says when it comes to self-justification, we're all geniuses, right? So the lists don't match, but, 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 but they're, very, they're probably very, very close. Actually, they're probably very, very close because we have this sense of justice, But what sin is here, sin crescendos, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, that it crescendos in death, the end of the physical. Everything that is wrong with the world, all of that is being dealt with here. Verse number 9, for I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul has a tremendous regret. Actually, some scholars believe That when Paul talks at another point in his letter to the Corinthian church, when he says to them, I have this terrible thorn in the flesh and I wish I could get rid of it and I prayed about it, but the thorn won't go. Some people believe actually the thorn in the flesh was his deep regret for persecuting the church. So Paul had dragged off men, women, and children. He killed some of them. He threw them in prison. And he was haunted with a nightmare of regret about what he had done. And so here he says, here he says, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I have this deep regret over the things that I said and over the things that I did. Do you have any deep regrets like that? Do you have regrets over things that you have said or done? Do you have deep regrets over things that have been said or done to you? They hurt. They scar us. They're like a nightmare. The resurrection is going to reverse all of that pain. In verses 12, all the way down to like 17 or 19, Paul says the same thing twice. 
He says, unless you understand the meaning of the resurrection, unless you truly believe in what the resurrection represents and what it means, your faith is useless. It's worthless. And he says it twice in a row, emphasizing this point, that the resurrection has reversed what's going on in this world, all the sin and all the suffering, all the problems. And now your life matters and you ought to live like it if you have true faith in God that he has been resurrected and this physical world has been reborn. Verse 20, this is where he really gets into the meat of the issue here. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So when it says he's first fruits, it means that there's a harvest to come. So they were looking at Jesus and said, oh yeah, I totally believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but that's not going to happen to me. Most Greek philosophers believe this. They believe the physical world was bad. They believe that your body and my body was holding us prisoners. And until we're free from the physical world, everything on this planet, including our bodies, until we're free from this physical world through death, we would never be truly free. And so it was all about escaping the physical world. Because what happened in this world was bad. It didn't count. It didn't matter. And they lived that way. They lived their lives without a purpose and as if their lives didn't matter. And that's why when Paul brings up the resurrection in Athens to a group of philosophers in Acts chapter 17, he brings it up. He says they all laughed at him. They were laughing at him. This physical world doesn't matter. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. You feel that way. I feel that way. I've been reading Crime and Punishment, just preparing myself through this time from Ash Wednesday to Easter. You know, what an amazing story. What I find in that story, one of the things that struck me is the main character. He sees terrible, he he has a tough life of his own, but he sees terrible things going on. And one part of him says, I ought to do something about that. I ought to make a change. And then he has a battle in his mind and he says, well, what does it matter? I mean, this world's a terrible place. I can make a difference here, but how much of a difference can I make? And then there's so many other things that are so wrong. Don't you feel that way? Like if there isn't a purpose and there isn't a God and there isn't a rhyme and there isn't a reason, does it really matter? Does it really? And so that's what he's struggling with. The physical though, because the physical has been restored, it means that what happens on this planet and what you and I do with our lives really, really matters. And are we following Christ? You find in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, something very interesting. We're told that Adam and Eve become physical beings. But then we're told that God breathes the breath of life into them. And after God breathes the breath of life into them spiritually, they become a living soul. They did not become a living soul. Their souls weren't alive until the physical came together with the spiritual. What was happening in Corinth is that it's all about the spiritual. None of this matters. You know, we can live any way we want. Does it really matter? I just, I'm just trying to escape. I'm just trying to get there. And the resurrection says, no, you're not trying to get there. If you truly believe in the resurrection, it's right here, right now, following God, living for him, serving him, making a difference in this world. Steve Jobs had a famous saying when he ran Apple Computers. He says, we want to do it, Apple Computers, and we'll put a ding in the universe. That's what we want to do. We want to put a ding in this universe. And what Christ says through the resurrection is that his followers who are following him should put a ding in their community. They should make a difference for him, and they weren't doing that. And because of that, they were not experiencing the power of the resurrection. Verse 25, for he must reign. 
until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Why? Why is death the end? Because death is the crescendo of sin. Because death is the end of everything that is physical and they had to be overturned so that this world could be restored. Everything wrong with this world. It matters. What are we doing about it? All those things that we suffer, the abuse, the problems, the pain, terrible thing that happened in Sri Lanka, all of that stuff, every hospital waiting room, every tear-stained divorce paper, every motionless ultrasound. The first two chapters in the entire Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, tell us about the creation of the world. The last two chapters in the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, tell about us about the recreation of the world. And it says this, all the old order of things has been changed. And there's not going to be any more death, right? Physical. When it says no more death, that's talking about physical death. God is going to reverse that because God loves this physical planet and your life that he created and he wants to redeem it. And what that means is everything that goes on right here, right now has tremendous purpose. Your life matters and what you do with your life really matters, really matters. And that's what the resurrection means to us. He's come to make things right. That's why towards the end of this great chapter on the meaning of the resurrection, Paul just like goes off on victory. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in that last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21, that God is making all things new. Their opinion in the Corinthian church is, ah, it's all going to burn, it doesn't matter, live any way you want, because it really doesn't matter, as long as you believe in Jesus. As long as I believe in Jesus. And I'm going to escape to a spiritual world. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You're missing out on the power of the resurrection. He's going to make all things new. Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection, is not a destroyer. He's a restorer. He's going to restore everything. That is what is so unique about the resurrection. Followers of Jesus Christ got it. They weren't getting into Corinth, and it was robbing them of the true power that was meant to be for them. They were going to be able to live the life that God intended. This world was intended for something different from what you see of it right now. This planet. Oh, the beauty of this planet. We think about how incredible this planet. Have you ever seen just a scene where you just you look at the mountains or the ocean, you're like, man, I could just I could sit here all day. Krista and I had a great privilege. Few weeks ago, we went to Colorado to officiate at a wedding, and while we were there, we took a hike way up, like ten thousand feet up, up in the mountains. Nothing but snow everywhere. It wasn't a cloud in the sky. It was magnificent, and we just, we just wanted to freeze frame that moment. Like that was so awesome. We have never known this world, and we have never known ourselves as we were truly intended to be. That's why in the scriptures, it makes such a big point after the resurrection of Jesus that he was physical, that the physical got resurrected. He was eating, like he's eating with them. He's eating fish with them. Hey, Thomas, go ahead, touch my hand, feel it. So all the physical's up. But at the same time, he was doing things that he wasn't necessarily doing before. He's like walking through locked doors. He was doing a Star Trek thing where all of a sudden he got beamed from one place to the other. What's up with that? he He had a body He still had the same body, but there was a difference. There was a glorified body. How about you? 
Here's, here's what resurrection says. You have never known yourself, like your physical body, who you are as a person, as God truly intended you to be. But one, one day, as followers of Christ, we will. I've always wanted to touch the top of a backboard. Never come close. I've always wanted to surf a 30-foot wave. Never, never will do that. But maybe one day I will. You know, there's this movie called As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson. Maybe some of you have seen it. He's got all these phobias, all these problems. Can't step on cracks on the sidewalks. Got to eat at the same restaurant. Got to sit at the same seat. Got to be at the same table, have the same person wait on him all the time. He goes to see the doctor, you know, about all of his phobias and his problems. He's like, is this as good as it gets? Here's what resurrection says to us. This right now, as good as it is, is as bad as it gets. Our world is pretty good. Try living 5,000 years ago. Rough. Like there's no Novocaine, okay? Rough. It's rough. We live in a pretty cool world. And for the last 2,000 years, believe it or not, it's getting better and better and better and better and better. It's getting better since the resurrection. It's because people who understood the resurrection, they also understood that we, put a, we should put a ding in this community. And so they rushed in, and for people, even for people who were their enemies, they loved on them, they helped them, they healed them. There wasn't any church buildings the first 300 years of the church. But once there were church buildings, it was pretty much written down as a law. You had to have like some area in the church building that had to be a hospital because we had to care for people. We had to heal people as Jesus. We, had, we were followers of Jesus Christ. This is what we were supposed to do. So they lived that way. The civil rights movement came out of followers of Jesus Christ. The abolition movement came out. If you believe in universal human rights, I would ask you, where do you think that idea came from? So as followers of Christ making a difference in this world, putting a ding in the community for Christ. And they were just living any way they wanted. Let's look at verse 32. It says, Paul says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You know what that's saying? Say, who cares? Who cares about this life? They didn't. They were just... They were famous for just kind of living any way they wanted, even though they, were, they said they were followers of Christ, even though they said we believe in Christ because they didn't believe this world matters, but it mattered a lot. And they were living lives without purpose in this world. I just read an article recently about Okinawa. So the greatest concentration of people who are 100 years of age is in Okinawa. So everybody's like, well, what's going on with Okinawa? What are they eating over there? We, we got to figure, figure this out. And so they did this big study on Okinawa. And why do you have people 97, 97 years old, living at home alone, independently taking care of themselves? How is this happening? How do you have so many people? And people from Okinawa said this. There's two things. Number one, you got to have a sense of purpose. Number two, got to have a sense of community. My question to you is this. Do you have a sense of purpose? And do you have a sense of community? Because if you understand the resurrection, you will have a sense of purpose. You'll know that you should carry on the work of Jesus Christ in this world. And you'll know that your life matters a lot. That everything you do for Christ matters and nothing, nothing is in vain. There's a number of two tombstones 2,000 years ago that they've seen that have this writing on. There's four things. And it's, it's both in Latin and Greek. Pretty famous thing. And it says simply this. I was not. I am, I am not, who cares? If there isn't a God, it's hard to come up with a rational reason that this world exists. 
You just have to make something up, but there's no rational reason to justify it. There's nothing to stand on. If so if we came from nothing, a meaningless existence, and we're headed toward a meaningless future, then we have to be brave enough to say what's in between really doesn't mean anything. And what the resurrection says is actually this physical world means everything. And we should live, live like it. He ends this way, verse 58. His big ending moment. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Everything that you do for God matters. Your life matters. Live like it matters. Live a life of purpose. God is issuing us an invitation in the resurrection to partner with him in this world and to live for him. There was a disconnect in their lives between belief and behavior. Jesus says these words in John 7. I think they're so important. He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. If we want to experience the power of the resurrection, we have to become followers of Christ. You never saw Jesus in the Gospels come up to somebody and say, okay, okay, okay. So his most famous words were follow me, right? Follow me. He never came up and says, okay, before you follow me, I have a list of things that I need you to ascribe to. I need you to say, I believe this, and I believe this, and I believe this. Okay, you did all that. You said it. Open sesame, abracadabra. You said the words. Now let's go follow me. He never does that. What he does say is, is follow me. Begin to live like I live. Begin to do what I do. Begin to go around and bring help and hope and healing. Begin to model after me. That's what it means to follow him. Begin to do that. And then along the way, you're going to come to the point where you'll find that you truly do believe. Because they were in name only. It wasn't affecting their behaviors. And what we do in our behavior represents our true belief. So I all over the scriptures it says, you know, you say things with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so God is inviting us in the resurrection to partner with him in making a difference in this world and putting a ding in this universe. Jewish scholars would tell you, that the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, don't really talk about the afterlife. It's hinted at, but it doesn't really talk about it. And they'll say this, that God was trying to say in those books that it's important that nobody misunderstand that there's work to do right here, right now. And don't just look for the afterlife. Look to make a difference right here, right now. Isn't it interesting that Adam and Eve, God, the, one of the first things that God does for them or says to them, it says, I'm going to give you a job to do. I need you to tend this world. I've got a job for you to do. We want to live a life of sense and purpose. We want to experience the power of the resurrection. Then we have to know that God has given us a job to do. And will we step into that? To have belief in the resurrection means we step into that invitation and we start living it out. And we're putting a ding in our community for the glory of Jesus Christ. We're living as he lived. And that's what it means to truly believe. The most famous prayer in the history of the world is found in Matthew chapter 6. And it's called the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have an opportunity to be a part of the answer of the most famous prayer in the world by participating in the work of Christ in this world. We can say, I believe, and we can just name all the points about what it means to believe in Jesus. And Paul says that's absolutely useless. It's your behavior. It's what you do. Are you living out the Christ life? Are you making a difference in this world? Are you putting a ding in your community for Christ? That's what it truly means to believe, that your behavior, your behavior follows behind 
Christ. There's only one fill in the blank today, and that is that we should go and do likewise. One of the famous sayings of Jesus Christ. If we truly, like, man, I can see that back then they lived so inspired, like they woke up in the morning inspired because of the resurrection. I have to ask myself, do I wake up that way? Am I inspired by the red? Has it changed my life? The whole world changed. Is it changing my life? And what Paul is saying is the disconnect is am I partnering with Christ in his great invitation to make a difference in this world? Am I living my life with purpose for him? We started this year by talking about um, a capital campaign. Very intrigued with the capital campaign. Very. Because for the over, over 10 years now, I've heard so many pastors, pastor after pastor after pastor. After it happened about five times, I'm like, well, wait a minute. This is happening too much. And what they were all saying is the greatest time of spiritual growth in their church is when they happen a capital campaign. Now, if you've never been to church before, and like, what the heck is a capital campaign? It's when you raise a bunch of money, usually to build a building for your church. And all these pastors said... Capital campaign, man, we just, like, spiritually, we grew by... I said, gosh, after 10 years, I said, we got to do a capital campaign because we want to grow. So this is what we decided to do, and I said this at the beginning of the year. We're going to do a capital campaign. We never told you what it was going to be, and today we're going to unveil it to you. We're not doing a capital campaign to build a building for grace. We want to do a capital campaign to make a difference in this community. We were searching. I called the Arlington County Board. We called the District of Columbia. We've called so many people in this area. We wanted to know what could we do to make a big hit in this community, to make a difference in this community. What organization could we partner with that would make a huge impact in this community, something that was really, really needed, not for us, but for the community? How could we ding this community? And so, here we go. Watch the video. Hey, Grace, we began this year talking about a capital campaign. Not for Grace to build a building, but for Grace to help build a better community. After a lot of discussion, research, and prayer, we've decided to partner with CRI. This is Arthur Ginsburg. He's the president and CEO of CRI, and he's going to tell you what CRI does. Hey, Grace, I'm Arthur Ginsburg, and I'm proud to serve as the president and CEO. CRI's mission is to provide services and to support to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and mental health issues. We've been a proud provider of services for over 45 years. And again, our mission is to provide these services in Arlington County. And we currently have a home that uh, we've resided in for a long time that's inaccessible to the people as they age in this home. So we've made the decision to replace the home here at 2244 North Glebe Road. And we are very excited about the opportunity to receive the support from Grace Community Church to help us build a new home on this site. So we appreciate your support. Thank you. Well, I was born in Washington, D.C. And I lived in Indiana, Virginia, most of my life. And then I moved, moved. Then I, I found CR and they helped me trem- tremendously how to budget and how to be independent and live, live professionally. To, to me, I, I wasn't too sure if, you know, I felt like unsure about myself, but they helped me to realize that, that I don't have to be that way anymore. So now now I have a, I have a new job and I have my own apartment and I had somebody to help me pay pay my bills and and, and live live a long perspective life. 
CRI, when I think about CRI, I think choice is choice, respect, independence. So we're tailoring supports and services to ensure that we're providing choice. We're respecting the people we serve and we're helping the individual live independent. Seeing changing lives is very, very important. And we change lives for the positive on a regular basis. So we and we love our people, the people we, it's a family. It's not just a group home, but we become a family. So we're gonna resurrect this home and we're gonna rename it the Grace Home. So that every time we drive by this location on Glebe Road, we're gonna be reminded of what we did together and the power of Christ's resurrection. Thank you for helping us at Grace Community Church. All right, there you go. We didn't plan it. We didn't plan it this way. But some of those who were residents in CRI actually attend uh, this church. Some of you might recognize them, but that's just the way it all played out. This is the actual architectural rendering of the house that we're going to build. The different pieces were all over the place, and now they've come together as they were intended to be. We are resurrecting. We are resurrecting this home as it was meant to be. So we think that's kind of cool. It's going to be called the Grace Home. You know, resurrection is in the air. We're resurrecting this house. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Tiger Woods has resurrected his career. (laughs) Resurrection is in the air. We're all into it. We are told, listen to this. This is interesting. They met after the resurrection. They used to always meet on Saturdays, the Sabbath, and they switched to Sunday. You know how hard it is to change something that you've been doing for a couple thousand years? You know how hard it is to change something you've been... You have a hard time changing what you've been doing for the last month. But they've been doing something for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and they switched from Saturday to Sunday, and they called it the Lord's Day. Call it the Lord's Day because they saw themselves as a resurrection community, going out and making a difference in the world, putting a ding in the community for Christ. If you're new and you're wondering, hey, you guys do this all the time. We've never done anything like this before. We invite you to come back over the next few weeks and we'll talk about how you can get involved in this huge project with us. There's going to be people with intellectual disabilities and they're going to be living in this home that we'll be building and the building will start very soon. Okay, let me end with one word. Um, Next week, we start with a true Tinder romance. Tinder. Anybody ever heard of Tinder? I say it's okay. You can raise your hand. I've done a lot of weddings where people met on Tinder. I'm just saying, all right? I've done a lot of weddings where people met on Tinder. So we're doing a true tender romance. It's based on the greatest love song in the history of the world. It's in the Bible. It's called the Song of Songs. Now, we're going to have caution signs up next week. So if romance bothers you, if it gets too hot and steamy for you, I'm letting you know right now. We got caution signs up because there's stuff in this song that I will not read publicly on this stage. That's how smoking hot it is. And what we're going to attempt to do is resurrect dating and resurrect marriage over the next four weeks. And so I hope you'll come back and be a part of that. Let's have a prayer. Lord, we thank you that you invite us to be a part of your great work in this world, to put a ding in our community for you. Help us to experience the power of the resurrection as we follow you. In Christ's name, amen.